if we look at the modern history, there's a few notable inventions that have created a paradigm shift in, 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 their, in, in their particular industry. Uh, I think electric cars is a paradigm shift in driving and, and, and transportation. Uh, I think the internet was, of course, um, an enormous paradigm shift in communication. Uh, Wi-Fi was an enormous shift in uh, security and, and communication as well. I noticed that cryptocurrencies and blockchain was an enormous shift in the way that we execute software. Where every computer program in history has run, been, been executed by an organization, or at least an organization by proxy. Now a computer program can run in its, with its own sovereignty. That is Luke Anderson, and this is episode 17 of the Blockchain Pro podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Blockchain Pro podcast. I'm Adriana Bellotti, and today's guest is Luke Anderson. Luke teaches computer security and is the co-founder of Sigma Prime, a software and security consultancy that is playing a big part in the new Ethereum 2.0 ecosystem by developing a client implementation called Lighthouse. In this chat, we talked about the importance of developing skills like public speaking and coding. We also talked about geeking out at a young age, the new paradigm shift brought on by Ethereum, and much, much more. Here's our chat. Hi, Luke. Hi, Adriana. How's How are you? Going? Fantastic. How are you? I'm all right. Excellent. So, thanks for having me today. No, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to learn more about you and how you started your career. How I started my career. So what, what inspired you to study, study computer science? So computer science, I guess, I, I was inspired by my parents originally when I was, uh, when I was a kid. We had, we had a computer because they're both sort of sciencey people. And, uh, and I used to play the truck game when I was three. But I, ne I never really got into computers till a bit later when I found out that you can actually put them together and pull things apart. And I, uh, and I always had an obsession with knowing how everything works. I had to know how everything works because if I didn't, then it was magic, right? And I had to find out the magic behind it. Um, and my family knew this. So whenever there was a, a fax machine, which uh, you actually remember that, and the new generation don't even know what I'm talking about when I say that, um, they, they would, uh, I would end up with the fax machine and I'd pull it all to bits. And, and sometimes I'd even put it back together again. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, some uh, only sometimes, uh, and so this sort of this fascination for how things work sort of evolved, and uh, to the point where I would actually want to start building things. And I used to make little electronic kits, like you could buy these circuits on on the on mail order because you couldn't buy things online back then. And uh, and I remember I built a bug, a little FM transmitter, oh. to uh, to listen in on my younger brother. Um, and it used to fit into a tic-tac box. Uh, but then, uh, but I, and I did that once and then I got bored of it and put it away, but. He wasn't having any interesting conversations? Or no, it turns out, turns out my brother was, didn't have much, much to say that I, I didn't already know anyway. <laughs> so that, so that, that was fun. Uh, and then, and then through uh, all of high school and stuff, I, I was 
you know, quite interested in computers. It was, it was, and, and still how things worked. Um, and then eventually it was like, oh, I have to go to uni now. That's the, that's the next step. What am I going to do? Oh, um, I guess I'll do, I'll do IT. Um, and I also like to know how things work. So I did IT and physics as well um, to try and also know how the world works. Didn't quite learn how people worked through, uh, through those studies, but I, but I, yeah, or psychology or even just like less time spent talking to computers and more time spent talking to people. But, uh, that came later. (laughs) Um, and and in fact, between high school and uni, I, uh, I went on, uh, like a youth exchange with the Rotary Clubs. Okay. And that was, and that was, um, which country did you go? So I went to Canada. Okay. And. People think, yeah, Canada, that's awesome. Whistler or maybe Toronto. And they're so wrong because (laughs) I didn't go to either of those places. I went to a lovely little place called Prince Edward Island. Okay. Have you heard of Anne of Green Gables? No. It's a book and that's where she grew up. That's what they're famous. They're famous for Anne of Green Gables and potatoes. Is that on the East Coast or West Coast? It's very much on the East Coast. And so I lived with a French family there and they were absolutely lovely. Um, But I was... In Canada, they say I was in the sticks. I was, when we say middle of nowhere, it was like my house, potato field, potato field, potato field, everywhere. So I actually built a potato cannon to try and make the most use of that. I've shot those here. A friend of mine, her son, he built one. Yeah. Nobody want to, nobody, none of the adults would want to do that. I am. Yeah. I'll come and we spend a whole afternoon doing that once. Yeah, it's, um, it's fun. I, uh, I had a good fun. I had plenty of ammo there as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, in a potato farm. Yeah. Uh, but at that stage of my life, I was not the best at talking to people and, and public speaking was absolutely terrifying. Um, and and so, I, so I still kept tinkering with computers. Uh, but the, because I was on this Rotary Exchange, I had to get up in front of the Rotary Club every week and tell them about my week. And in the beginning of that year... I was absolutely terrified to get up there every week and I, I didn't have much to say or I'd get, try and get out of it. And, um, uh, but by the end of the year, being forced every week to get up and share something about myself, you start to get a bit more comfortable in front of people. And so I, uh, and so I, I started, I think that, that sort of year away from my tea and actually talking to people for that year really helped, really helped me a lot to... Uh, that eventually ended up having me lecture and tutor at, at, at uni, but uh, that came a bit later. Such an important skill to have. Like, people underestimate the power of being able to speak in front of an audience and how that can help someone advance their career. Yeah, and, and because it's not just speaking in front of an audience either, it's, it's also speaking to some, someone who's intimidating, right? Because the audience True. is a group of people yeah. And that's really intimidating. But you could also go and speak to a CEO or a venture capital, someone who you have a lot of respect for um, and find that as intimidating, if not more, than a group of people. And so practicing being able to speak while being intimidated is, I would say, almost the general skill of public speaking that, um, that I, I certainly tried to develop. Do you still get nervous if you have to speak in front of a big crowd or...? Uh, you have to speak to an investor, for example? Well, it depends very much on what I'm speaking about. If I'm speaking about a topic I know well and I'm just getting up there and talking about that, I'm fine. If I have to get up in front of a group of people and uh, 
talk about myself or be vulnerable. Maybe that's a bit of a di- maybe that's a bit of a different story. Even though it's a topic you probably know best. That's probably a topic I probably know best. <laughs> but it's it's, it's e- much easier to hold a face in front of a crowd than it is to share what's really going on. Uh, so that's something maybe I'm, I'm I'm still working on. Okay, that's good. All right, so you're at uni, and then what yeah, so. Being around uni and playing with IT, everyone's talking about all kinds of wacky technologies and there was all kinds of things coming out of that at that time. Um, and, and one of them was Bitcoin. I did hear about Bitcoin then and I, and I distinctly remember going onto a Bitcoin faucet and getting clicking a button and getting some free Bitcoins. Just, Do you remember which year was that? Oh man, that would have been... It, 2000 and I could I remember the classroom I remember the lecture theater uh, and so I could probably look it up but it would have been 2012 2013 um yeah around then maybe even maybe even before but about then yeah and uh and didn't really play with them much and they're honestly they're probably still on a hard drive somewhere and I have (laughs) looked for them a little bit um but I, I haven't managed to track those bitcoins bitcoins down uh, but I didn't really, I wouldn't say I got into it then because I thought, oh, this is a cool money. And that's why well, that's actually, that is pretty game changing. Um, you know, I used to download things on, on torrents back before Spotify was a thing. And that was the only way to get music. Uh, and so I was familiar with these sort of decentralized technologies. And Bitcoin was definitely interesting, mm-hmm. um, but it never really took a huge, like it didn't re- I didn't get into it then, that's for sure. Uh, then I then I carried on through uni, and in one of my la- final years, I, I ended up doing um, a, a subject on information security, uh, computer and network security. It was called Elec Five Six One Six, and it was taught by this uh, this gentleman who was very uh, very inspiring lecturer. Lecturer, unlike most of the professors you see at uni, he you know he was an entrepreneur and he had a big business and was doing lots of stuff, and he was kind of lecturing on the side. Um, and as part of the course, he set challenges to, you know, kind of hack him in some ways, like social engineer information about him. And one in particular was um, a student, his student number from when he was at uh, a university in the US. Uh, and I, I had a, I, I took that by the horns. I was, I was <laughs> like, all right, we're going to find out everything. And I, and I stalked him, um, you know, with permission, of course. Uh, I remember f- calling his parents to try and socially engineer his birth date out of him um, because I found his parents' number somehow. Uh, and then I ended up calling the university and really hounding them because either I was going to get that number or no one was going to get it. <laughs> and so eventually I never got the number. Um, <laughs> did anyone else get But no one else got the number. Okay. So I did, I did win the challenge. Uh, was that did no one else get the number because you scared everyone at that university off and they wouldn't give up the information? That's that was my plan and that's exactly what happened. They ended up emailing the lecturer explicitly being like someone is trying to steal your identity or your information. Let's set up a passcode so that they can't. And the next week he came into the lecture and goes, "Who the hell has been calling the university?" <laughs> and uh and I had to sort of put my hand up Pretending to be ashamed, but really being like, yeah, that was me. I got this. <laughs> um, and so that was fun. It was really, it was, I, I like being a smart ass sometimes. Uh, and so I got to be a smart ass to him and, and he, and he appreciated that. So eventually he gave me a job as you do. Of course. Yep. Uh, and I actually worked at that company for, 
for about three years. Um, and that was a, that was a really large website, you know, millions of users and stuff. Uh, and so I started out there as an intern, just cutting code and building some of the first messaging systems in, in that website. Um, and eventually my, my passion for IT security, um, sort of came forward and I, and I was, and I was in charge of security there for, for a long time. Uh, and that was, and that was fun. I learned a lot. Uh, eventually I moved on to working on, on startups, uh, and all kinds of other things. I started, ended up starting a PhD. Um, but on my very last day at that company, I, uh, I was in the elevator leaving and, and the boss was there and, you know, my, my previous lecturer and he goes, Oh yeah, that's right. I, I quit teaching. I'm not teaching anymore. I was like, what? You quit teaching? This is not okay. You know, like that was so inspiring for me. That was inspiring teacher. Yeah, that was like my favorite subject at uni. You know, you can't you can't quit teaching. Oh damn! So I was like, oh, I'll go to the uni. So I went to the uni. I was like, guys, I'll teach it because I'd I'd actually filled in for lectures before, and I I sort of tutored the course a bit as well. So I was like, guys, I'll lecture it. It's I'm I'm good to go. And they'd actually already found another lecturer, but um, the person they found was not particularly good at lecturing quite, quite frankly. And, uh, and so, uh, they put me, I shared it with him that first year. And then eventually, um, it's something that I found a lot of passion for because I really enjoy the inspiration that you see in their faces because in my students' faces. So you are an inspirational teacher, like the I, teacher that taught you the same. Yeah, I try to be because, okay, um, because I, I was really inspired and that made, made a big difference to me. And so I really wanted to carry that forth and, and make sure that, um, that the students had, a, like the, that had a continuation. Uh, and so now I ask the students to hack me. I was just going to ask that question. <laughs> and have they been able to? Yeah. So one year I set the challenge as uh, what is my driver's license number? All right. And uh, yeah, go. Good luck. Uh, don't do anything illegal. It's, it's definitely a, a very important clarification. We talk a lot about morality and law in my class. Um, but they, uh, you know, some, some students realize that I have a habit of putting my wallet down on the lectern before I start and manage to distract me before the end of the lecture and just take my wallet and got my license number that way. Uh, and that, you know, I, I'll admit that was my fault that time. I, I messed it up. Uh, but uh, another group did it in exactly the way I was hoping. They, um, well, no, I, I didn't have any expectation, but they, they did a great job. What they did is that they discovered that I was actually in search of a housemate at the time. And I'd posted on flatmates.com.au being like, oh, you know, here's, you know, I've got a house here, da, 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 da. And of course they made a profile, went on to the website they, uh, and said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And they had this, you know, picture of a cute girl. And they were like, oh, you know, but I'm a bit, you know, I don't really want to go to a stranger's house because, you know, I've got, I've got a problem with that. I'm like, oh, you know, well, it's fine. Of it's fine. Security first. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Well, all right. Meet me at the pub down the road. Okay. That's fine. Let me, let me meet you at the pub. Okay, fine. All right. So on the day I went to this, meet, meet this, um, meet this girl to, as a potential housemate. And I, uh, walked down to the, my, my local pub, walked, walked up to the door and the security went, did security and you know I checked the license and all that sort of stuff and and I walked into the pub and I saw the owner there because I, I knew and I go oh, mate your your bouncer just ID'd me I mean I've never been I've been coming here for you know five or six years I've never been ID'd before he turns around and goes we don't have a bouncer 
And the bar girl comes up and goes, what are you talking about? We don't have a bouncer. And I just stopped. I stopped. <laughs> dropped myself. I didn't even, didn't even say anything. I just ran outside chasing this, chasing this person. And then they had, uh, they were long gone by that time. Uh, and then I, and then of course I had to re-enter the pub and kind of explain what was going on. Cause I just freaked out the, uh, <laughs> the, the, everyone in the pub. Uh, but that was, that was excellent. They had actually hired their friend who was into improv. He was in like, he was in the improv societies at uni and stuff. And they asked him to, uh, pretend to be the bouncer and of course read my license number. Um, when checking my ID and he was pretty good. He had a whole line about, I was like, Oh, what are you checking my ID for? And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, they've changed the laws recently. So that was, that was good thinking on your feet. Okay. That's good. And, uh, and that's something that I, I, I think is important to teach, um, is that social engineering aspect, right. And how to leverage, um, people because they're almost always the weakest part of a system. Um, and they, you know, another, another reason to learn how to talk to people instead of just computers. True. So did they get an A? Uh, they, they won that, that component. There's that particular component of the course that has a, um, a, a ranking system and they, they, they nailed that. And I think they got the, uh, I don't know if they actually came first, but they certainly got my kudos in the lecture in front of everyone else. Oh, so they, they got the good story and, and everyone got some laughs. And you got a good story to tell too. And I got a great story. That's one of my, I've got a few others, but that's definitely my favorite one. That's an awesome one indeed. Um, all right, so you are now lecturing in uni, and what else are you doing? You've quit the, the other job? Yeah, yeah, so I, so I lecture at uni still, um, just, you know, one day a week um, on, on, on my lecture day. And then, uh, but while I was still working at that big website, I, um, I actually ended up at this Bitcoin conference day thing. And one of the, you know, coin people that give out, you know, have one of those online wallets where you can, they're like matchmaker kind of mm-hmm. websites. They, uh, they were giving out free Bitcoins in the day and I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is cool. All right. And I'd already been playing around with it a little bit then it was starting to ramp up. Uh, and I'd already been playing, I, I like building computers. So I'd already sort of built a hobby miner at home and was, I don't know, mining Dogecoin or something silly like that. And, um, uh, and then there was this, gentleman that was speaking at it and, and, and he was trying to explain this new concept of actually storing data on the blockchain and having execution on the blockchain. And at first I didn't quite get what he was talking about. Um, and then I really had this light bulb moment and I was like, oh wow, they're going to like run websites on the blockchain. It's not just going to be, it's, this is not just a money thing anymore. Uh, and, and from that moment, I really, I really knew that, that what was coming was a lot more than just changing our money um and and so from that we were inspired um and we were i was following ethereum quite closely as a as a result of that um until the point where the the first the mainnet actually launched um in the very first stage frontier and we uh and and when that happened we were ready to go we had our computers sitting there uh we were downloading the client and trying to fix bugs in the Go code, even though we'd never programmed Go before, trying to get it to work um, on day zero. Um, and that was really fun. Uh, and I mean, we certainly were, it was very much amateur, literally, you know, four graphics cards in a milk crate with, you know, a power supply hanging off the side uh, with a whole bunch of cable ties um, was, our, was our game. But that was just, it was just a bit of fun. Um, uh, I was also doing my PhD at the time. And so, 
uh, some of the ideas that I was working through with my PhD were, um, I, I was starting to make them around these sort of decentralized concepts because I was so fascinated with it as well. And of course we need to mine some to be interacting with it and all this sort of stuff. Uh, eventually, uh, we, I sort of started hearing about other people around that were playing with this stuff and I got involved with the Ethereum group, um, which uh, a, an acquaintance of mine at the time had, uh, had started. So I, uh, I got involved in that and then because I'd also been lecturing and I'm not afraid to get up in front of a group of people anymore, uh, I would of course explain what was going on in Ethereum. One time I even brought my miner in and said, hey, this is how it works. And yes, it is really noisy and produces a lot of heat and I don't recommend you do it. Uh, and so uh, after doing that for quite a while, we started getting asked a lot of questions, me and, and several of my friends started getting asked all of these questions about, okay, well, can we build this? And does it work like this? And most of the time it's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Just use a database. No, no, that as well. No, we don't, we don't, we don't want that. Just, just put it, put like MySQL there yeah. and you're done. How um, many times do you reckon you said, have you said, just use a database in the first four years? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I kind of gave up on a lot of the consulting eventually. So I sort of limited myself on that, but yeah, many, uh, too many times to count. That's for sure. Uh, and so people started asking us a lot of questions and, and eventually it got to the point where it was like, oh, what, what happens if someone sues us or what happens if, you know, how do we hire someone? Oh man, we actually, we need a business here. This is not, we can't just be doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, we had to start, um, so we started our business, um, Sigma prime about halfway through, uh, 2016. Uh, we also realized that having gone to these community meetups, that it's really important to get involved with people, right? Because as much as, you know, blockchains and cryptocurrency, it's not, you know, this, people think it's immutable and untouchable. And it's like, no, it's, this is not our AI overlords running it. It's actually humans programming it and humans running the machines. Yes. And so being involved in that community, I think is, um, is, is particularly important. And so we made, we, uh, we bought tickets to China and went to the DevCon 2, the, the second Ethereum or kind of technically third Ethereum developers conference. Uh, and there it was just, you know, if, if we were inspired before, after hearing all the talks there, we were, you know, exceptionally inspired. Um, and I think it was actually there that we ended up naming our company Signal Prime after the Ethereum yellow paper. Uh, and so... As that grew, we did we did quite a bit of uh, consulting in the beginning because that's you know we were asked a lot of questions. So we we're like, oh, okay, well, we'll do consulting. That seems to make sense. Um, and while that's while that was fun and, and we you know it certainly was profitable, um, it's not at our hearts what we what we love to do. Um, what we really love to do is to build things and, and create something. Uh, we also like to break things. That's also fun. Uh, and so. The, the consulting started to become a lot more um, security reviews, okay. right? And security investigations because of our, our background in information security and hacking and breaking things um, is quite, it's a very in-demand set of skills, which is another reason I try to teach it because I know that we don't have enough people in that space and I want to put some more people through it. And so... And so we continued that and we started refining the security um, offering that we have. Um, but again, as much as fun as breaking things is, um, we still want to actually build things as well. 
And so we, we had all kinds of ideas that we would come up with. We, we, we knew we wanted to find a project to work on. We weren't quite sure what that project was, but we wanted to find something to work on. And so we thought, oh, well, we'll, I don't know, build an exchange. The other exchange in Australia was absolutely terrible at that time. It's, it's not as terrible as it used to be, but it was really bad then. And so we thought, oh, we can do better than this. We'll build an exchange. And we started that road. And then we wanted to, I don't know, launch a satellite. And we had, we had all kinds of ideas and interesting things that we were exploring. Uh, and eventually, um, one, of, one of my colleagues, Paul, was playing around with... Um, the specification for the next generation of Ethereum and was sort of, sort of researching it and cutting some code here and there, maybe, oh, I'll try this. Um, and just like in the beginning where we were, we were like, oh, oh, wow, actually we're experts in this now because we've just been tinkering it with it for the last year. He started becoming, oh, wow, we're, I'm actually an expert in this new thing that we think is coming and we're designing and thought, oh, well, this is a project for us. We want a project. Here it is, Right. And so we decided um, as a collective to actually just build a client. Uh, and, and the Ethereum Foundation had been publishing the spec and, and doing all that sort of stuff. And so in our spare time, I mean, I say spare time, but like in, in very much in work time, we, were, we decided to, to work on this, on this project. So, you know, in, in, in that sense, our um, security offering, uh, the money we were pulling in from that um, was funding this open source development on the on the side that we were interested in and and and, and stuff. And then we quickly realised that was unsustainable, right? If we want to work on this, we can't and we can't just we, we can't do both all the time, mm-hmm. um, and we can't work on the one we want to work on, which is building stuff, when we're spending all of our time breaking stuff for money, and so we started looking around at a way to fund this. And of course, grants is, is, is a pretty obvious one. We'd seen that different groups had gotten different grants in the past from the Ethereum Foundation and from other people and thought, well, maybe we should just ask, see if we can ask for some money to, to help us do that. And, uh, and so we did. We applied for a grant from the Ethereum Foundation and we got that. And we were you know, exceptionally appreciative for that because now it means that, okay, Actually, we can dedicate a resource to this, or, or more than one resource. And in fact, let's get another resource on. And so, um, we've hired uh, a couple of my students from my class as well, the ones who are, show a keen interest and who have learned Rust. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we get get them on board and, and involved in that. Um, we then ended up with also a grant from Vitalik himself um, over Twitter, which was uh, awesome. Uh, and and both those are those those are the two biggest grants we've gotten to date. Uh, and but there's certainly other contributors we've had through Gitcoin and, and that sort of thing. And that's really allowed us to to focus on this and actually make this um, our, our priority and, and a reality. Um, and maybe after we reach the next milestone, we'll be um, we'll be going for another round of uh, looking for grants mm-hmm. um, and hoping to get some sort of donations because. Unfortunately, funding is a problem faced by almost all open source projects. Yes. Um, and a lot of people as well, and not only just the projects, but the individuals who want to work on these projects, you know, they, want it, they do it a lot of time in, in their spare time, mm-hmm. but they want to do it as a job. They'd love to be able to contribute to open source as a job, but just can't, simply can't afford it. Uh, and, that, and that is a, a big problem in this space that um, I think grants and, and these kinds of... Um, funding structures are helping 
but at the same time, it's not necessarily sustainable. What is the rough timeline for a project of this size, like building an Ethereum client? I think it depends very much on your approach to the problem. If we were going, if we were going to, if we were a private company designing a product and launching that product, right? You could probably do it in a year, mm -hmm. right? Because you're focused on it, you've got a lot of resources to throw at it, you're organized and you're not dealing with external parties, mm -hmm. right? Your communication overheads are really low and, and your communication is very efficient. In an open source project, it's a very different story. You have um, multiple teams all working on different implementations of the same thing. You have, you know, some someone else, some other researchers trying to guide that. And then you've got all of this, like, massive organizational overhead. Uh, plus, it's almost all of it is remote because, you know, people working on open source stuff tend, tend to want to be working from home mm -hmm. um, or they work. Or they work their, their own. Yeah, or they have a job and they have to work from they have to work from home or they're overseas. You know, there's a lot of people in we've, we've had contributors um, from all around the world helping us out with with Lighthouse. And that's been it's been awesome. Um, uh, but it certainly presents uh, a unique challenge that a private corporation who you know employs people in house wouldn't necessarily face. All right. Long journey. <laughs> it, it certainly has been. And it's just the beginning. Well, you know, is, is, it, is it just the beginning or like it's, it's, it's all just one big line, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's just the beginning for crypto, I think. Oh, yeah, it's certainly the beginning for crypto. So what was the most in inspiring thing for you about this crypto stuff? Yeah, I think it was noticing the paradigm shift. Uh, there's been a few, if we look at the modern history, there's a few notable inventions that have created a paradigm shift in, 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 their, in, in their particular industry. Uh, I think electric cars is a paradigm shift in driving and, and, and transportation. Uh, I think the internet was of course um, an enormous paradigm shift in communication. Uh, Wi-Fi was an enormous shift in uh, security and, and communication as well. I noticed that cryptocurrencies and blockchain was an enormous shift in the way that we execute software. Where every computer program in history has run, been, been executed by an organization, or at least an organization by proxy. Mm -hmm. Now a computer program can run in its, with its own sovereignty, almost. And the way I explain it is that Every computer program you've ever used that deals with money or interacts with money is really just an interface that a company has put forward for you to interact with their money. Mm -hmm. The company has the money or some individual organization has the money and then they provide an interface for that interaction. And for the first time in human history, Ethereum has allowed a computer program itself to own and control money. Right, and that is something that is a, that is an extremely powerful concept that is a game changer in my opinion. Right, that a program can actually control money. Now, I in in some ways don't think that's particularly useful uh, in you know established and wealthy nations, mm -hmm. right? Because our institutions are effective, mm -hmm. right? If someone creates a lottery and it's dodgy or it's unfair. Well, that person's probably going to go to prison, 
there is serious consequences and you're and you're very and it's very likely those consequences will be enacted upon uh, but in developing nations institutions are untrustworthy and and that is a problem that affects the entire society as soon as you say that okay well you don't need to trust this institution anymore now you can actually just trust this piece of code which is behind it is just mathematics right now you, you can just trust mathematics with your money uh, I think that paradigm shift is extraordinarily powerful. Okay, but until we have AI building this code, humans are building the code, right? That's true. So, how you, how do you transfer? Aren't you just transferring this trust or mistrust from the entity mm -hmm. to the person who writes the code? Yes, absolutely. And I, I've heard before people say things like, you know, blockchain systems are trustless or they don't, you know, you don't need to trust them anymore. And, and that is um, absolute nonsense. You are very much trusting um, the code. You're trusting the code authors, you're trusting the network, um, and you're trusting the algorithms. I mean, most people certainly won't understand how they work, right? But for the same reason, uh, you trust an airplane when you, when you fly, like, do you know how a plane flies? Well, maybe. Uh, certainly most people don't. And they certainly don't understand the immense amount of engineering that actually goes into keeping it in the air for long periods of time. Yet they're quite happy to go on that because they trust the scientific method. They trust the process that that goes through. And so in blockchains and cryptocurrency, we're trusting the open source process. Open source is the... Open source is the key. Then, open yes. source is the operative word there. And I have heard of closed source blockchain projects um, and every time I've heard of them I've absolute it's absolute nonsense I would never ever use a closed source blockchain project it is pointless then you have to trust the institution which is what blockchain is trying to solve exactly exactly right uh, and so at least if it's open source you know you don't necessarily you can tr you still have to have some trust for the institution that authored it mm -hmm. right but there's you can now know that that trust can come under much, much deeper scrutiny, right? For the same reason, you look at Linux and you compare that with Windows, right? Nobody can see the source code of Windows. It's very difficult unless you're a Microsoft employee, right? There's, you know, I don't know, let's say 10,000 people that work at Microsoft who can see that code. Linux has, you know, 50 times that at least people that can that, that look at the source code and can can actually discover things uh, and that transparency holds people accountable uh, which is something that we don't have in private institutions and closed source software exactly all right oh we've reached 32 minutes nice uh so how about you we end with some tips for people that are just looking into blockchain now or I was going to say people who are thinking about going to computer engineering, but they, these are completely different tips. <laughs> they are. I would, I, would, I would focus on... To the people who want to get involved in, in crypto and, um, and help, the, help the movement, I would say, A, learn to program, right? Because we need development and we need it in mass. Um, and also... Then go on to things like GitHub and find issues. Integrate yourself with the community of developers that surround projects. 
So most GitHub projects will have issues tagged as good first issue. And they're a great place to get involved. And just maybe it's something quite simple. Maybe it doesn't seem like it helps much, but it will get you up to speed. That means that you'll be able to make more meaningful contributions in future. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Easy. Thank you so much. No, no, my pleasure. And I will be seeing you soon. That's quite likely. Awesome. Cheers. That was the awesome Luke Anderson. Luke is definitely one of the coolest dudes I've met down the crypto rabbit hole. His passion for Ethereum and decentralized computing is definitely contagious. To get in touch with Luke, head out to Sigma Prime's website at sigmaprime.io S-I-G-M-A-B-R-I-M-E dot I-O There are a few different touch points there. And if you're in Sydney and interested in learning more about Ethereum and Lighthouse, my advice is to join the Ethereum Sydney meetup. Um, they host meetings once a month and you can sign up at meetup.com forward slash Sydney. So I will post the link in the show notes. As usual, you can reach me on Twitter at abelotti. Feel free to send me guest suggestions, questions, what's in your mind. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like and share. That makes me real happy. Uh, thanks for listening and I will see you at the next block. Bye.